0: Thank you for the, for the invitation, and thank you for joining us today. I will, I will try to kind of like put, put across one challenge, perhaps. Uh, as in migration debates, migration discourses, we often see you know, those movers coming from, say, UK and uh, Western European countries and North America, often referred to as expats, whereas everybody else qualify only as immigrants. Most often they are qualified as bloody immigrants, but you know, that is one little challenge uh, I am playing with. So I will talk about Turkish, Kurdish, and Turkish Cypriots in, in Britain, and one particular aspect of integration. And also I will try to contrast this with what happens to Brit- Brits or British or UK born in Turkey. So it will be, in a way, a triangulation of various data sets. I have analyzed the Turkish census data and UK census data, UK annual population survey data, as well as two uh, special surveys we have carried out in, in the UK and in Turkey between 2014 and 2015. So it will be kind of like I will refer back and forth between these uh, different data sets but the storyline will pretty much uh, stay around the uh, British movers in Turkey and Turkish movers in Britain Obviously I have to make a, make a brief you know, comment perhaps on why I talk about Turkish uh, rather than all these other you know, ethnic uh, labeling we do have and we use quite often it is understandable there are, you know, these are contested uh, contested labels, particularly when it comes to Kurdish groups and uh, some other minorities. But uh, in English language, I should say, you know you can use Turkish as an administrative category, and this is what we have in almost all data sets, and this is what I am using, so it makes more sense to me to uh, refer to all these groups as. Turkish, it is, or British Turks, or you know, if it was American English, I would probably call them Turkish Americans or something like that. But nevertheless, we refer to Turks, Kurds, Turkish Cypriots, and others from Turkey. When I say Turkish in this context. So <clears throat> integration, integration obviously now ever more popular in political agenda. And we hear quite a bit of you know, controversial ideas, and one of the most recent controversial uh, things in this debate was Dame Casey's report. I really enjoyed reading it. It's quite a good fiction. And she obviously made it clear afterwards, saying integration is no way a two-way street. I agree with her on one minor aspect of it. It is not two-way street. It is two-way street with so many sideways around it. So many side streets and (coughs) alleys around it. So how we measure integration is perhaps more controversial than talking about integration. Um, European Commission at some point devised four main areas and categories looking at you know, economics, mainly looking at employment and labor market outcomes, then political participation, citizenship and uh, participation in elections and, you know, uh, civil society and so on. And also sociocultural integration. Where again we often hear uh, comments about, you know, language proficiency as one indicator of integration. In labor market outcomes and educational outcomes, perhaps, uh, this is an area I am more familiar with, and I read more widely than, than the others, I should admit. Uh, we, we have worked on UK minorities for quite a long while, and we focused on overqualification as an indicator, as a measure of integration, but also as a measure of discrimination. I was so convinced until, you know, quite recently I should say that, you know, it was kind of evidence showing there is discrimination and I don't contest that. But we also found out there are so many occasions where these, you know, cases of over-education or over-qualification may just arise from not ethnic background or religious background or religious belonging, but Simply by being migrant, being mover, may impose such disadvantages. So, are these discrimination or disadvantages? It is a it is an open-ended question uh, that we have to think about, you know, before jumping to a conclusion there. But you know, we also know there is a great deal of discrimination taking place uh, in countries where you have sizable number of migrants. Yeah, I mean, this, this was one idea, like whether we can obviously have a great deal of, you know, literature talking about ethnic penalties or ethno-religious penalties or racial penalties, but maybe we can talk about migration penalties if we can pin down uh, those differences. <coughs> Where I, am, where I am mainly talking about, like, you know, there, are, there are two aspects of migration somehow playing in the hands of that kind of migration penalty rather than ethnic or racial penalty. A, when you move from one place to another, you basically you become stripped off of your networks. So especially when you look at overqualification at the high end of labor market, that can be quite you know, crucial and decisive. Because, let's say, in senior managerial positions, you need those kinds of networks more than ever. But at every level, they have an effect, they have an impact. This is more to do with migration penalty rather than ethnic or racial penalty, without denying existence of presence of such, anyway. Um, and also, also the, other, the other issue is juris, jurisprudence, I mean you change, you move from one jurisdiction to another. So that's have, you know, that has an impact on whether your qualifications are valid or not. So this is also a great, you know, a great deal, even within the EU despite all the efforts of harmonizing and you know, putting measures in place to ensure recognition across borders is, is, is there. But th- these are, in my opinion, more to do with migration penalties. In, in Britain, obviously, these are the major or largest uh, migrant groups as we have from, as we can. Uh, Estimate from annual population surveys as well as from, from census data. So it is about Polish. Polish now officially became the largest uh, foreign-born group in the UK. And then it, it is followed by Indian, Pakistani, Irish and so on. Turkish are not among the top 10, among the top 20 either. So they are between 20 and 25 why I'm making this comment is it is one of, just to say, it is one of the 220 different nationalities uh, we find in the UK. Religiously, these are the main groups as we identify from the census. So among immigrants, Muslims are one-fifth and uh, no religion is about one-sixth. the Turks often fit into these two categories more than anything else, or movers from Turkey. If you if you looked at looked at you know Turks in Britain, do a little bit of search, you would immediately come across these claims about like half a million Turks in Britain, um, or 400,000 or 300,000, or you can find even you know variations like you know there are half a million Cypriots and as many as Alevis in in Britain. According to what we have in data, what we have in records, what we have in registers, it is not the case. Turks or movers from Turkey represent about 1% of the total of foreign born. And if each and every one of these groups exaggerate as much, British population today would be over 100 million. But luckily enough, it is just 63 so far. And by the look of census data, Turkish population in Britain is relatively smaller. And in the 2011 census, there were only about 93,000 something Turkish born, born in Turkey, in British uh, territory. And majority of them, about two two thirds, are in London. Understandably, like any other migrant group, majorities are based in often based in London. Turks are no different, and in fact, about half of Turks reside in uh, three four northern boroughs of North London. So that is the reality, based on country of birth. And in 2011 census we had a luxury that was open-ended, right-in a question about ethnicity. So it was practically right-in who you are, what you are. And based on the responses we have found about just shy of 50,000 Kurdish and just over 100,000 Turkish and just about 20,000 Turkish Cypriots. In total, it comes to 169,000. That is pretty much what we have. Otherwise, I would admit all these exaggerated numbers uh, making Turkish population in Britain second largest to none. But that's the reality. That's what we have. And perhaps we should also look at one other, one other issue here. Uh, I will come to that in, in you know, two slides later. But for me, one important issue was whether our survey sample, integration survey sample, was somehow reflecting the reality. So we compared it with the APS, APS data. And as you can see, even visually, in fact from these two graphs using pretty much same scales, Uh, We are pretty much there. So what we talk about, these 625 people we interviewed over 2014 and and 2015 can be representative of what we have in the house. So now have a quick look at what happens in Turkish side. This is the British by age and sex in Turkey. Unfortunately, in Turkey, they messed up with the census data ever since 2000. Uh, So we have 2000 census data as the latest, most reliable uh, census data in Turkey, especially based if you are looking at country of birth and citizenship. Actually, not necessarily country of birth, birth birthplace in general. Uh, I work for Turkish uh, statistics office for a while, like six years, as a consultant. And it was quite a futile effort. They know what the problem is and they can't fix it. So that data is not available after 2000. But anyway, that is pretty much what you would expect from a Western European immigrant group in a Southern European country. So you have, with the exception of this very large under 18 group, which we don't expect in the UK or elsewhere. But it's a pretty much balanced, but slightly larger, uh, higher end of the pyramid where you have early retirement and retirement population uh, sit. So if you go back to Turks in, in the UK, that is kind of like confusion. And that is probably one big question mark we can put to those numbers I already presented. These are the answers by those born in Turkey indicating what ethnicity, what race they are. In the census's generic 16 categories, about 50% consider themselves as other white, but there are also significant numbers considering themselves as black British, Asian British, white British, mixed, and other categories. and in writing answers, you can find all of these as well. So it is a bit of a confusion there. But we should treat these numbers with care. That is the, that's the message I get from all these um, numbers and graphs we have in, um, in hand. So when we look at the ethnicity in our integration survey in the UK. Kurdish is dominant, more than half is Kurdish in our sample. And that is pr- probably pretty much the accurate description of the population, Turkish-born population in the UK. And One uh, proof of that probably is the recent you know, election results of you know, Turks voted in, in the UK. You know, HDP, the Kurdish party was, in all three elections, uh, dominant and representing pretty much 50 to 60 percent of the, of the voting, voting group. And that is the reality, I think. But when it comes to mother tongue, about 70 percent indicate Turkish. Most frequent language when at childhood is slightly less where Kurdish is about you know, 30%. This is again in line with the literature, in line with our own work as well. We have looked at uh, language shift in, in, in Turkey, analyzing the census data from 1940s up to 65, where we have the uh, actual ethnicity and language question in censuses. And then we projected it over uh, censuses up to 2000. So, In that case, we have shown there is a great deal of shift from Kurdish to Turkish not necessarily and not only because of the political uh, pressure and uh, stance of Turkish state and governments over the time but also simply by the nature of numbers, minority and majority uh, behavior in terms of language acquisition uh, there was a significant shift over the over the decades. So we believe we captured a good deal of um, that in, in our survey. On this side we are showing the language skills, English language skills of, of those respondents and perhaps it is it is good news for Dame Casey and other conservative fellows in the UK. Turkish, Kurdish and Cypriot immigrants speak quite good English. They understand quite good English. They write quite well in English as well. So only about 20%. Uh, these are obviously self-reporting results. Consider their English as limited. That is not a, not too bad a result. I mean, we have pretty much, on average, about 80% of population considering uh, themselves with you know uh, intermediate or very good levels of. English language skills. When we, look at the, when we look at the British in Turkey, in terms of their language skills, obviously, Turkish language skills, the picture is yours. As we know, British are famous for their lack of interest in other languages. I think that is the most polite way of <laughs> <laughs> within my standards. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, well, what I was talking about. Um, now, let's look at the labor market. What's going on there? What we can, what we can say, what we can talk about the labor market options. Again, these, these two graphs are based on our, um, our integration survey. I should also maybe make a note here. Most of our respondents were based in London. But again, if you remember those earlier tables, that is where most of Turkish migrants reside, live as well. So there isn't much controversy controversy in in doing so, looking at these results as uh, results for Britain. But I, I obviously accept that there are differences, and there can be significant differences across the country especially in those other parts of the UK, where you have uh, relatively sizable groups, like Manchester, Sheffield, uh, Bradford, where you have 500 or more, uh, Turkish, Kurdish, mostly Kurdish, actually, uh, immigrant groups. So like, like in other more groups, Turks are more self-employed and obviously more unemployed and more inactive compared to the mainstream uh, population of course and inactivity is much bigger among women although I don't report it here but it is like uh, this is the average, not looking for a a job it is kind of like for men it is towards 20% for women it is towards 50% so there is that uh, gender imbalance and that is pretty much true for many migrant groups across the board, anyway. And uh, then what we have, we also looked at the same thing in Turkey. Sorry, I mean, the, this was from the from the survey, and this is from the annual population survey, or labor force survey uh, combined data set. So again, this is just to kind of test, check, whether what we capture is in line with larger uh, data sets. Of course in this case our our data set is slightly larger than the labor force survey data. (coughs) We have about 150 more respondents than APS has, but APS is uh, at least perceived and accepted as representative of uh, the total population. But with APS we are able to compare what Turkish that includes all Cypriot and Kurdish, is with the mainstream white British or majority white British group and the largest Asian immigrant group. Of course, within Asian, we know there are differences between Indians, Bangladeshis, Muslims, and others. Um, but you know, when we compare with all other minorities, it makes less sense than putting all Asians into into the same, same category. So you can, you can guess from that table, as expected from any migrant minority, there is higher level of self-employment and there is higher level of unemployment as well. And obviously inactive group again here, this is colored by gender imbalance and men are Less women are more uh, falling into inactive category. Our survey is slightly better than APS because we have identified domestic care, home care, as uh, an economic activity category, rather than throwing them into inactive altogether. What happens to UK born in Turkey? So again, you know. uh, We are looking at, sorry, this is a mistake here. It's not APS, it's Integration Survey 2015. Uh, We have looked at British in Turkey. And British in Turkey, employees, self-employed, quite a large chunk. It is much uh, larger than the Turkish majority group, and large group of retired. Again, this is what we expect and what we know many European, Western European uh, retirees move to relatively inexpensive places in the south and perhaps more comfortable climate-wise. That group is large and that is pretty much in line with the census data. Of course these graphs do not look identical, they are pretty much similar uh, except this children and unknown group is included in that, you know, in the census data, uh, which we had to keep in, but when you take them out or distribute the rest uh, accordingly it is pretty much similar to what we captured in our data set in the integration survey. Overqualification. So that was one measure, measure we have used and very commonly used in the, in the literature. that's pretty much the same as British, white British majority. So just looking at that, we cannot say Turks are discriminated at the high end of the job market. Extremely overqualified is not so. It's 1%, 1%. Again, same story. Now you look at the Asian group, on which we have plenty of studies indicating there is significant levels of overqualification and discrimination and disadvantages. So these numbers, it's like, you know almost three times the, the average of the majority, and six percentage points higher than the majority. And that is uh, probably when you look at the Muslim minority groups within, these numbers are even, even worse for them. For the Turks, that is interesting, like underqualified and I don't know if you are familiar with the concept of overqualified or underqualified this is a very simple measure, we are looking at what are the skill levels acquired by qualification, by education compared to what skill levels required, generically required by the job, by the occupation person is undertaking so if the latter is lower than the former, we call it overqualification or over-education. When it is under-qualification, that means you are doing some job for which you are not properly qualified. But for many migrant groups, that is a misleading, misleading story, because often they are self-employed, or they appear as small businessmen, Although they run a little corner shop, on record they appear as manager. So when they, on a labor force survey or any census or any such data, when they see the questionnaire, what am I? I am the manager. But there is no option to say I am the manager of that little shop, which earns much less than, I don't know, a cleaner in HSBC, whatever. So that is a bit misleading, but the story behind is likely to be that you know difference is coming from uh, how we capture and measure these occupational categories. However, there is one story that you know there is an obvious Mm -hmm. extreme overqualification. So that is the labor market overqualification for UK born. When you look at the Turkish majority population, overqualification is just less than 15%. When you look at the British UK born in Turkey, it is almost 40% overqualified, and add to that another 10% plus, extremely overqualified. That means, extremely overqualified means. Uh, occupational skill level is two or three levels below your qualification skill level so it is about half the population, half the UK born population in Turkey were overqualified at the time of, at the date of census and that is pretty much three times more than what the majority or mainstream population faces that's an interesting story to follow although the data is old but you know that is that is one snapshot where underqualified for Turks. the mainstream is significantly larger in our survey data we have we have seen similar pattern but with the census data we looked at like you know what what uk-born faces compared to other groups and by the way, UK born in Turkey, by that census, was the fourth largest foreign-born group. Although after 2011, the whole story changed. Now you have Syrians, Iraqis, and Afghans as the largest groups on top of the list as foreign-born in Turkey. And all these European categories you know, went down in, in ranking. Uh, Of course Germany, Bulgaria are still large, you know, representing large larger numbers. But UK born was, you know, worse off compared to other major groups. The other five major groups in that time was Greeks, German, I mean Germany born, Bulgarian born and obviously former Yugoslavia uh, was you know still an important Uh, group in where we are talking about Bosnians mostly and uh, some Croatians and Serbians Muslims or Turkish Muslims coming from these countries mostly Same goes for German born Among the German born a large large chunk is obviously uh, those Turks born to Turkish parents in Germany and then moved to Turkey But UK born interestingly did worse than the other major foreign-born groups in Turkey, and the other other categories, like you know, obviously we looked at nationality, citizenship. So having Turkish citizenship, acquiring Turkish citizenship, reduces your chances of being overqualified, and it is not you know contradictory. Obviously, citizenship is also a qualification in itself. For many positions, if you are not a citizen, you cannot have it. So that is one thing. Uh, one interesting story here that I don't have an explanation. Male were more overqualified than females. I don't have an answer to that. One, you know, one perhaps possible explanation is inactivity is much higher among women So the sample gets smaller, so the result is a bit distorted. Because all in all, this is 5% microdata from the census. So it is not the full census of 60 million. So it is uh, 3 million plus microdata. And that is only about 64,000 or 62,000 foreign-born sample. And within that, UK-born is just about 886. So, that's yes, you know that can be a sample size issue. If we go back to our own survey, integration survey, this is a Likert scale, one to one to five, and when you say one, it means I never experience discrimination in these places and occasions. So when you're searching for jobs, when you're searching for homes, flats, or when you're shopping, when you're at school, when you're in the neighborhood, or at a hospital, or surgery, whether you're experiencing. So it is again, self-reported perception of discrimination. And I compared here the British with Dutch and French, and the overall foreign-born average. So they reported slightly higher scores. When you say two, it means you rarely perceive discrimination in those places. So British, UK born in Turkey apparently feel rarely discriminated in Turkey. It may not be a big issue. And how we can explain that I am not yet sure. These are still preliminary results. I looked at some other variables in the data set, like what are the ethnicities of these people and what are the ethnicities of spouses, partners of these people. Uh, There can be some answers. One potential explanation may be these people come from minority backgrounds in the UK. So they may not be white British feeling discriminated in Turkey, because if you are a visible minority in Turkey, it would, you know, it would attract some nasty discrimination, I believe. So that can be one explanation behind that. But obviously, British or UK born in Turkey feel a little bit discriminated. These are the Turkish and Kurdish from UK, what they do Again, when you look at female male, the blue ones, blue bars are male, they feel a little bit more discriminated compared to female. And when you look at the Turkish and Kurdish, the red ones are Turkish and green ones are Kurdish, more or less they show the same pattern, but in certain occasions, like you know, when shopping, at work, at hospital, in the neighborhood, Kurds feel slightly more discriminated compared to their Turkish, uh, Turkish fellows. I will skip this one, but you know, it was just to, just to add up a little bit to whether people are integrating or not, or whether there can be other motives behind it. Uh, Turks in Britain, women we have interviewed, about 80% acquire British citizenship. I would expect the other way around, because among men it is less than 60%. This is interesting because there are more risks involved when you are a Turkish citizen man at least you have to go and do your military service Erdogan can call you back anytime to fight against whatever he wants to fight so I mean there's more risk but obviously women were keener to acquire British citizenship than, than men so that was pretty much what I prepared to talk about I mean, um, when you when you think about you know whether whether the, these are all like indicators of you know uh, integration or discrimination is pretty much an open-ended debate. A within political debates, we are often looking at short-term, not even medium-term, you know, outcomes. And integration is, like it or not, is a long-term uh, process. And it is quite a uh, miraculous process, moderated and shifted over time by various you know, indicators and factors. But we shouldn't be you know, dwelling too much on. I don't know, I mean, maybe one joke can go down as like you know, Vikings. For Vikings, it took about a thousand years to become. British, and for Turks, I think we should give a bit more time—not a thousand years, perhaps—but you know, some time to relax and enjoy what it can be, where it can go. But if we if we link this back onto, onto the you know wider immigration debate or migration debate, I think there are there are these three key issues we have to we have to think through. The democratic deficit, demographic deficit, and development deficit. These are pretty much where you can see the root causes of migration wherever you look around the world. And unless you do something serious about these three, we will have mass numbers, shifting places, shifting geographies, and walls will not be enough, you know, they'll never be enough to stop or control these these you know, mass movements of populations so I mean, if you look at again the Turkish case, the current you know, political climate in Turkey is apparently feeding into democratic deficit more and more we already had Kurds feeling frustrated with the system so they felt they are not represented and they have no choice no chance of being represented and in recent years we have seen similar uh, perception becoming established and widespread among secular minority in Turkey. We already had it among, let's say, Alevis and, and other minorities for a long while. So from here, there, is, there isn't much space to you know, enact or do something. So migration is one such exit option, one such reaction to democratic deficit. And that was pretty much uh, part of the root causes of uh, Syrian crisis when it started with the famine and move from rural to urban and, and the demonstrations. And development and demographic deficit uh, Demographic deficit is the easiest one among these three actually. Development deficit, you have to do something and you have to change all these inequalities. We have seen, we have hard evidence within the countries and across the, across the countries, across the globe. So, Unless we, we make you know, uh, significant moves in eliminating or alleviating these issues, there will be, there will be little, little change in terms of human mobility around the world as we know of today. Thank you very much.